You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard this growing up? One, two, three, three and a half, right? At some point, usually the middle name is, is used in, uh, in, in the name. This, I mean, there's a difference between one, two, three, and one, two, you're right. You, you know that that basically means uh, uh, someone's in trouble and that, um, uh, you know, names are being called. And uh, there's, there's a measure of grace because there's counting, right? I knew one parent, a uh, lady who used to go to our church, they had moved. Um, she used to count, but when she counted, every count represented how many wax they were going to get. So it was like, one, whoa, yeah. I mean, uh, she said, I'm counting, and they, she never got to one. Now, thankfully, uh, we have a God that actually counts one, two, three. Do I need to come down there? That's the prophets. That's what the prophets are all about. In fact, you're going to find the prophets are God extending warning of discipline and giving account, giving us a chance to respond before it's too late. We've been walking through the minor prophets this summer, and uh, they're called minor pro- prophets not because they're less important, but simply because they're smaller and uh, they're lesser known. And the word prophet literally means somebody who is sent with a message or sent with a word, one who speaks for another. So we've been unpacking the prophets and the prophets, God was addressing their complacency, their selfishness and sin. And over the last couple of weeks, we've extended a challenge to, to not be complacent and to respond to God's urgency to care for those around you. And, and it's been pretty exciting. We've had some great responses. Now, obviously, today is Backpack Sunday. If you brought a backpack, awesome, place it in the hallway. If you forgot your backpack and want to be a part of Backpack Sunday, you can either buy it today and drop it off at their house no later than tomorrow, or when it comes for offering later on, put a little extra in there in an envelope and say backpack on it, and that'll go to backpack purchases. Now, here's the deal, though. I've also seen an opportunity for you to make a difference in your neighborhood. And guess what? I've been getting calls. I've been getting responses. I've been getting uh, messages from people who said, you know what? Uh, I've, I've been inspired and, and I'm going to, I'm raising up a group of people in our neighborhood. For example, we have uh, someone in our neighborhood that's, that's raising funds to basically adopt a nursing home and to care for a nursing home. I think that's pretty cool. And we also have another one that's decided to, to care for the homeless in the, in the, uh, uh, connected to the place that they're worked at. So it, it's, the response has been great. I'm excited about it, and we've also had these other opportunities to respond to, to God's challenge in the prophets to stop being complacent and selfish. Well, here's the backdrop of the prophets. Many of you guys don't know this, but the, the prophets carry a, a measure of time frame for the people of Israel or the Hebrew people of the Old Testament. In this uh, outline here, you can kind of see where it's going. Um, we, these are the minor prophets on the left over here, and we are now today is Zephaniah. And as you can see, one kingdom became two kingdoms because of sin and because of a civil war. Two kingdoms, one God. God had had enough of one, and they ended. They were taken off as captives. We're going to talk about in a minute. And then another one, they're just buying time. And God is counting one, 
two in every county, he's sending another prophet. And the prophet is not giving a new message. He's giving the same message of mercy and judgment. And today we're looking at Zephaniah. Zephaniah is an interesting character. And uh, let's just jump right in. We've talked about Joel, Amos, Jonah, Hosea, Micah, now Zephaniah, three small chapters. So we're going to read a lot of it today. Zephaniah 1.1 begins, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi. I can imagine his wife calling him that. He little baby Cushi. He's my Cushi. Uh, son of Gedaliah. <laughs> sounds like Gedaliah. A son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. That sounds familiar. It should, because Hezekiah was a king. And this prophet, Zephaniah, is the great-great-grandson of a king whose name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a decent king. He was a good king. He brought good change to the kingdom. Uh, however, his kids went back to an old way of life, and the kingdom went downhill. Uh, so Zephaniah, this is the one prophet that's from a royal family. And he says it's during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, we're going to talk about Josiah in a little bit. That's important. But we learn a lot about Zephaniah. There is more said in that one verse about Zephaniah than all the other minor prophets put together. We know a lot about him, his background, his family history, who he's speaking to, and the king directly involved with his life. And here's the deal. With Zephaniah, God has been quiet for 50 years. There hasn't been a prophet. No one's been talking to the people. Israel has gone now. uh, Israel, the the kingdom has been broken into two. The northern kingdom has been gone now for over a 100 years. Judah's been on their own. God has been quiet. And just so you know what the world was looking like for them, take a look at this picture. This is the world during the time of Zephaniah. And you see this big green area? That's known as the kingdom of Assyria. Now, you might see this little bitty tiny off green spot in the middle where Judah is. That's Judah. Now, let me tell you something. When the northern kingdom fell, the nation of Assyria, the empire of Assyria came in and slaughtered people and took them as captives all over the world. The Assyrians were notorious for exchanging people. They would basically remove people from their environment, take them as far away as possible. In fact, most of Israel ended up far over on the other side of the Assyrian kingdom over by where Iraq is today, northern Iraq. And they would exchange Iraqis into the area or they would exchange the people into their area. What's interesting about this is God said this was coming. Those are the other prophets we've been reading. But then he said, Judah, your time will be coming. So Judah wasn't taken out yet. So you have Assyria taking over the entire known uh, Middle East at that time, but yet they kept their hands off Judah. And Judah, how did they get away with it? Well, Judah paid money to the Assyrian Empire to give them uh, their, their kind of anonymity. So here's what happened. Judah is a ticking time bomb of destruction. They've got an enemy that hates them, that's vile, that's violent, that does mean and destructive things to the people that they take over. And there's Judah right smack dab in the middle. And God is still counting with Judah, giving them a chance to respond. Here we go. Zephaniah 1-2. By the way, Zephaniah is called the hottest book in the Old Testament. 
because it gives more destructive verses about the end of the day of the Lord. In fact, it says the day of the Lord over 20 times. It says your day is coming. Your day is here. It's the hottest book in the Old Testament. It's been called Zephaniah 1-2. says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. Now, let me clarify here because this is a bit of a controversy with Zephaniah. Zephaniah was speaking to Judah and he says the whole world. Now, Different translations have different words right there because the word world means the land. In fact, if you look at the original Hebrew, it actually means the ground. It means just the ground on which you're on. And some translations, many of them, uh, more, more of the, uh, the literal translations, have the word the land, while some other translations have taken a specific point of view and have translated the word the world. So if you're following along in a Bible right now, you might have different things in your translation. So is God talking about the world or is he talking about the land? Well, let's continue because it actually explains. But this translation uses the word world every place it says that. So when you see the word world, also think the land. So as I will sweep away everything from the face of of the earth or the land or the ground, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth or on this land, declares the Lord. Now you're reading and you think, whoa, whoa, man, dad's mad again, right? What is, what is God always mad about? What now? As we read through the prophets, you're gonna, it seems like the prophets all shared off the same cheat sheet. It's like they all paint a similar picture of a God who seems to be angry. Why is that? Well, number one, I want you to know this, is that Zephaniah reminds us is that dad sometimes has to say things more than once. Right? Maybe you've been there. Deuteronomy 28 says, he says to his people, it says, if you obey my law, man, you will be blessed. But if you do not, then you will be cursed and destruction will come and I'm going to wipe you out. He says, so you have a choice. You either get blessed by following and obeying or you get disciplined by disobeying. And so God is following through on his own word that he gave to them. 250 years, God sends his prophets up to this point. How many times must he have to say it? One, I'm going to come down there. Two, I'm serious Three, don't make me get up. And he's counting. That's what's happening with the prophets. God prefers mercy and obedience over discipline. This is the message of the minor prophets. There should have been only one prophet, but we're all rebellious. Let me illustrate this. I'm going to talk to an expert about this. In fact, I need a couple of experts. Do we have any teenagers that would be willing to come up here for a minute? Any young people or teenagers that are just like, you know what? This is my day. This is my moment. Come on down. I need a couple of young people. Even if you're a junior high or a high school, just come on. I see some. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Who's this coming down over here? Ah, Maggie. All right. Anybody else? Any of you? From the uh, dog pound over here. Austin, you know, you would be a great pick. Come here. All right. We're get, they're going to go to this mic over here because I'm going to have you say something. Now, this is bold. This is, you know, getting up in the middle of the church and talking in front of everybody. Pretty big deal. All right. 
Here's, uh, I want to ask you guys some questions, all right? I'm sure you guys are perfectly obedient in all that you do, right? So let me ask you a question. How many times does it generally take mom or dad to tell you something before you do something? Mom, like 10 times, dad once. Mom, 10 times, dad once? I say maybe like two times, two or three times. Two or three times. Mom, it takes... Once. All right, dad, you heard her say that. So now you expect that, right? So I have, how many times should it take? Just once. Zero. Just take one. Yeah, it shouldn't have to say it. Just once. Technically once to say it, but then you do it, right? So here's the question. You guys can get a little bit closer. Just in case people need to hear this on uh, recording. So to hold you account for this. Um, Why does it take more than one time for your parents. Because I forget. Because you... F- <laughs> Baloney! Oh, my word! Because you have better he, things to do? He said, oh, my mom. goodness. He said, because you have better things to do than what mom and dad says. I'm texting. Oh! I'm fixing my hair. All right. Why, did, why does it take... You forget, like within like 10 seconds, you forget. Until, yes. All right. All right, anybody else want to give it? Why Why does it take? I'm going to give you guys a chance. Why does it, why do you think? Because there is an answer. Um, I mean, you guys, it's an, these are excuses. Uh, why, why do you think it takes more than one time for, for you or for, for people? Because you don't want to do it. What else? It interrupts your cycle. It interrupts, it interrupts what you want to do, basically. All right. You know what? Uh, anything you guys want to say to mom and dad? I love you. I love you. All right. Thank you, guys. Honesty by the experts in this matter. Pretty amazing, um, the, the candid responses. And here's... The story here, he says, verse four, remember, dad sometimes has to say things more than once. This is the message of Zephaniah. He says, verse four, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests. He says, man, if you claim to be mine, but yet you set up idols in my home, in my own house, I'm coming for you. The house cleaning is coming. Verse five, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host. He says, you pray to God, but then you get up and you want to read your horoscope. Come on. He says, you pray to the stars. You're looking to the stars to give you guidance. He says, I'm coming. I'm one. He's counting. I'm, I'm going to clean a house. Those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Moloch. He says, let me tell you who Moloch was. Moloch was a God during that time who they had these statues all over uh, Israel and Judah at the time. And these statues had arms held out and they would burn fire underneath the arms of the statues and ignite the arms to like, you know, several hundred degrees so that the arms were, they were metal and they were like scorching hot. And they would often lay their children in the arms of Moloch as a sign of surrender and blessing 
to Moloch. And he says, you come to church and you say, God, your will be done. And then you're willing to sacrifice your own kids. You're willing to sell out your own family. He says, those who turn back from following the Lord, neither the, neither seek the Lord nor inquire them. He goes, these people I'm about to stretch out my hand against. Now, I want to tell you something. If you are a parent and you've ever had maybe uh, a threat or two, you ever threatened your kids? Uh, and, and usually those threats are all, uh, I'm going to have to discipline you, right? They're all nice and cuddly and warm and, and loving, right? Like you're talking to a puppy, right? No, they're harsh. I mean, in fact, if they videotaped most of your threats, child protective services would be called on you. Because they would look at this and go, man, they're crazy. These people are, they should not have children. Here's the difference, yeah, former military. Here's the difference. God, when he makes a threat, he can follow through on every one of them. And he does follow through on every one of them. And his threats may seem harsh, but it's his graciousness and his loving mercy that's causing him to count to send the prophets, to give you a warning. He says, I'm going to do this if you don't turn around. Verse 7, he says, be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. Ever said that to your kids? Stop talking. Just stop talking. Anybody, any parents? All right, you're you're getting to a little, little discussion i.e. argument, and uh, things are getting hot and you just just stop talking. I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. I will talk once you've calmed down and I've calmed down. And if you don't do that, maybe you should start doing that because sometimes things are said without thinking through. And this is what God says, says be quiet. He says, be, be silent before the sovereign Lord. I love that. He says, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And guess what? It's you. He says, someone is about to get in trouble. Someone's about to get their tail in tan. He says, he has consecrated those who he has invited. And he says, and I've already picked out who's going to do it. And he says, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, that's you, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and those clad in foreign clothes. And I read that and I thought, why doesn't God like clothes from the gap? What's with this whole idea God doesn't like foreign clothing? He says, here's the problem. He says, you try so hard to look like everybody else. He says, I've called you to be different. I've called you to be more like me, but you try so hard to look like everybody else that you're even abandoning the clothes that I've called you as priests to wear. There's no separation between you and the world. Your whole life is about how you can be more like them. And he says, on that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, uh, hold, who fill the temples with their gods, with violence and deceit. He says, I'm going to come down on those who bring ungodly superstitions into my home. Dad says, I've had enough and I'm going to give you something to cry about. Anybody ever say that? Let me give you something to cry about. No, yeah. Oh, you've said it? Oh, you've heard it. Oh, ooh. I'm sure you're talking about your sister, right? Uh, Verse 10, he says, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate. 
It says, I'll give you something to cry out. You're going to be crying in the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. That fish gate at their time was known as their Wall Street. That was their commerce center. That was the economy center of all of Judah at that time. And he says, you know what? I'm going to cause your Wall Street to crash. He says, verse 11, wail. You who live in the market district, all your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. He says, I'm going to be taking away your allowance. He says, you've been a lot, uh, you know, all those things that you're doing, it's going to be hard to do when you don't have any money in your pocket. Sounds like home, doesn't it? At that time, I will stretch, I will search Jerusalem. This is a bizarre verse. He says, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent. God gives us image of him going house to house with a lamp or flashlight looking for the complacent, looking for the selfish, looking for those that are ignoring his words. He says, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. He says, man, if God's even up there, he's not even going to do anything. A lot of us have this weird idea that God's not going to do anything about your life. He doesn't care. He just kind of wound the clock and let the clock do its thing. And and you're free to do whatever you want. If he's even there, he's not going to do anything good or bad. That's the situation they were in. He says, you have no idea. He says, their wealth will be plundered. Their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they they won't live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they won't drink the wine. He says, everything you thought that was important, all that work, all your investments, all that time in college, all that education, all those accolades, all those awards, all those things that you have done, they can't save you. They'll all be gone. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Everybody say quickly. That verse tells us that what's happening in this book is a now event for them. It says it's not a 3,000 year future event for us. He says it's coming quickly. He says what I'm telling you is about to happen and it's coming near and he says near twice. That means it's within your life. It's coming near twice. So when you see the word world, it is best translated the way the Hebrew looked at it and that is the word the land. So he says, the fall of Jerusalem is coming quickly in your life. So be ready. He says, the cry of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts the battle cry. Zeph goes on to say, it will be a day of wrath, ruin, gloom, darkness, distress, and blood. This next verse is one of the weirdest verses in the Bible from God. And it says, I will bring distress on all people and they will grope about like those who are blind Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. That's a verse you won't have stitched on a pillow. I had this guy in Bible college who had memorized all these type of verses. And he would like put these little verses like on notes and cards. And he would just put that we'd turn it and we're like, what? (laughs) That's the verses that he would give us as like a little pep talk. He was a humorous guy. Uh, but he, he had memorized them. And uh, that's one of those weird verses you won't find on a coffee mug or a pillow or a blanket. He says, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. He says, look where your life has taken you. How's it worked out for you? That money, success, that land, that job, can't save you now. He says, in the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth or the land 
will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on this ground or in the land. But uh, this translation says on the earth. So they were ignoring God for sex and success. Let me explain. There were three main idols that God actually mentions by name in this book. And those three idols are Asherah, Molech, and Baal. Asherah was the sex goddess of the neighboring countries. She went by different names. She was called Asherah in Judah. And they would often plant vineyards in in, in treed areas and put up poles around uh, the, the land. And they would put the poles on the mountains. God forbid them raising poles on mountains because those were uh, symbols of idol worship. And they would raise these poles to Asherah. And she was placed in the temple, the very temple of God. The temple that Solomon built, they had idols and statues of Asherah, Baal, and Moloch in this temple of God. And on top of the temple, they had erected Asherah poles on the roof of the temple. She was the god of sexuality and fertility. They were sold out to sex. Moloch sacrificing their kids was a normal worship activity for Moloch. In fact, several of Judah's kings sacrificed their own children to Moloch and God wiped them and took them out of authority. Some of the Manasseh, in fact, the king that we're going to look at here in a minute, who's the the father of, of Josiah, he did that. He was known for being a very evil person. Basically, when you sacrifice to Moloch, Moloch was to reward you with success. And then Baal, he symbolized all the household small idols that they kept around them for good luck and for devotion and daily worship. So here's the deal. They sold out their family. They sold out their walk with God for sex and success. And we do the same, ignoring God's will for our life, ignoring God's word about our life so that we might have a sex life that's outside of God's will for our life, sacrificing our children in the name of success and comfort because we want that job or we want to make more money or we want to get that position and filling the areas of our life with devotions that distract us from our devotion from God. I mean, when we read Zephaniah, I'm like, I don't have any Asherah poles on my roof, but you have an internet connection. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have, you know, I haven't done anything to Moloch. I haven't sacrificed my kids. Then do you, you know, your kids would beg to div, uh, the difference. Well, so, you know, I, I don't have these bales in my house. Well, what takes your heart? What takes your devotion? But God says this in chapter two. He says, grace is given. He says, gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect. And that day passes like windblown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, and who do what and do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps. Everybody say perhaps. Perhaps, thank you. Perhaps you'll be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. He says, if you humble yourself and actually live by my words, then I just might spare you and your family. In chapter 2, God goes on to say that the nations around Judah will be coming down. In verses 4 through 7, he says, Philistia, 
will be taken down. In verse 12, he says, Moab and Ammon will be taken down. In uh, verse 13 through 15, he says, all of northern Egypt will be taken down. And then he says, even Assyria will be taken down. Wait a minute. I'm thinking, wait, Assyria is the enemy surrounding them. If you're thinking judgment is coming to Judah, my first guess would be Assyria is going to close in on them. God's grace is going to come off of Judah and Assyria is just going to wipe out the rest of the land. But that's not what God is saying. He lists all the nations around Judah and then he says, even the empire of Assyria is coming down. Well, you get to scratch in your head. You think, wait a minute. This is not what they expected. I want you to write this down. Zephaniah reminds us that dad's kids are thick-headed. God often has to say things more than once because his kids are thick-headed. Some of you might read the Old Testament and think, man, God is mean. You read these verses and say, man, that's crazy stuff. Man, that, those weird verses about blood and stuff, man, that's... That's definitely, man, that's not Jesus. You know what? Jesus used the same words in his parables to talk about the kingdom. Jesus used the same type of words in Matthew 24 when he talked about the fall of Jerusalem in their time. Jesus used the same type of words in Revelation as he spoke to John about the destruction of the rebelliousness of the people at that time. It's the same God, but you think, well, God is mean then. No, God is not mean. His kids are just thick-headed. God is patient. Remember, he's counting one, two, another prophet. You better get down there. I'm going to kill him right now. Three, Zephaniah, say something. Give him that grace. Give him that chance because I'm coming downstairs. When I grew up, I lived in uh, in multiple houses, but I remember one house we lived in the country, and my mother's room was upstairs and ours was downstairs. A lot of houses, it's kind of switched where the master's downstairs and the kids are up there, and parents go, I don't want to have to come up there, right? Or if you're going to travel, I've, I've actually said this. I, I thought it was like a cartoon saying, you're on a trip. Don't make me come back there. Don't make me pull over the car, right? I've actually found myself saying that. Not anymore. My kids are grown up now. Now it's like, I'm going to take your eye touch away, right? We have these rules in our house about how we're going to discipline now. But I remember those days in that house, in that country house, my mom's room was upstairs and we would get to wrestling and things get crazy. And she'd yell, don't make me come down there. This is Zephaniah. God is saying, I am coming. Don't make me come down now because I will. I'm ready. But if you will turn, I will give you this chance. God is not mean. His children That's you and me. We're thick-headed. We're rebellious in nature. He describes it this way in Zephaniah 3. He says, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. That's Jerusalem. He says, she obeys no one. You're disobedient. He says, she accepts no uh, correction. You're unteachable. You run from teachable moments. You don't listen to those that are trying to speak into your life. He says, she does not trust the Lord. She does not draw nearer to her God. You just ignore what God is saying. You think, well, God will overlook it. God won't do anything about it. And you do your own thing. Verse three, her officials within her are roaring lions. He says, man, your politicians are loud 
and dangerous. Her rulers are evening uh, wolves who leave nothing for the morning. He says, your leaders are like a bunch of scavengers. You just eat everybody and you destroy everything. Her prophets are unprincipled and are treacherous people. He says, you have self-indulgent ministries and ministers and pastors and leaders. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. You have immoral, unbiblical preachers. Verse five, he says, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice and every new day he does not fail. Yet the righteous, the unrighteous know no shame. Here's the deal. God is good. He's gracious. He's loving. He's patient. He's merciful, but he's also holy and he's also just. And every day he does no wrong. He extends grace and mercy. Justice will always come. He's even faithful many times when we are unfaithful and we still, like them, are shameless about what we are doing and about our life. I want to tell you something. I don't want to punish my kids ever. I don't wake up going, man, I hope one of my girls just, pow, I'm ready. And I feel like yelling at somebody. When they were younger, I don't feel like, mm, man, I'm going to spank something. <laughs> you know, and as a parent, you always say, it hurts me more than it does you. No, it doesn't. It hurts you more. Trust me. Because there's a little bit of pleasure in the spanking. Just a little bit. I always tell uh, my family, I said, I wanted to, <laughs> I, want, I want to crush your attitude, not her spirit. <laughs> right? So there's a fine line. But I don't want to. I don't want to discipline them. I don't. I don't want to have to count. I don't want to have to raise my voice. But if my kids, like them, are disobedient, rebellious, disrespectful, not accepting correction, arrogant, and ignoring me, guess what? And so will you. You will discipline them. You'll stop counting, and the hammer's coming, the paddle's coming, the hand's coming. Right? Something's getting taken away. There's grounding that's going to be followed. God is gracious. Jerusalem, he says, but you keep ignoring me. Verse seven, he says, of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you'll fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would be, uh, would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they still are eager to act corruptly in all they did. They just ignored me. They're thick headed. Verse eight, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand, for on that day I will stand up to testify. When God stands up to testify, stand back, baby. He says, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms and to pour out my wrath on them. That's Jerusalem, all my fierce anger. This is a glimpse as to how they will be destroyed. Because remember, we might be thinking it's Assyria because Assyria is surrounding them. He says, the whole earth or the land will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Jealous means exclusive love. You are to be exclusively mine, and I'm to be exclusively yours. 50 years later, by the way, after this passage, an unprecedented thing in the history of the world took place. There was a small empire called Babylon that rallied all the nations around them to attack Assyria. And Babylon took over the entire kingdom of Assyria, expanded the area, and in the meanwhile, conquered Judah and wiped out Judah as a unified group of nations. Why was this issue of Israel so important to God? Why is all this talk about Judah and Israel so important? Because 
God had set in motion before the foundations of the earth, a Messiah who would rescue us from our sin. And he chose Israel to be the people group from which the Messiah would be born. And God chose them, made them a special people. It's not the Italians. God bless Italians. It's not the Mexicans. It's not, I'm not going to do any other imitations of it before I, <laughs> Russian. No, um, you know who it was? It was, it was Israel. It was the Hebrews. We now know them as the people who are Jewish. These are the people that God said, your nation, your group of people, your nationality, your race will be the race in which will give us a Messiah, Jesus. Jesus was not Russian. Jesus was not Mexican. Jesus was not African. Jesus was Middle Eastern descent. He was Hebrew. He was Jewish. And God says, I care what happens to you because you're the incubator for the Messiah. He says, you're the people that I've called, the special people. So I will make sure that you keep yourself righteous in my eyes and that there'll always be a remnant to bring forth that Messiah. So the remainder of Zephaniah, God declares that basically... After I've wiped you out, I will gather you all back again. And you will become a nation again because I've called you to give birth to a Messiah. Zephaniah 3.20 says, At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortune before your very eyes, says the Lord. This was actually fulfilled uh, about 70 years later, uh, partially with Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. So basically, Zephaniah gives us a quick glimpse. He says, first of all, I want you to look inside. And then he says, then I want you to look around because, you know, I'm keeping them in judgment too. And then I want you to look up. I want you to look forward. I want you to look to a future of hope. So he says, look in, look out, and then look beyond. And Jesus is in this great book as the righteous one who judges, a mighty warrior who brings justice, and the great and coming king. So what do we do with Zephaniah now? In the last couple of minutes, I want to give you a story about somebody who lived during the time of Zephaniah that's mentioned in verse 1. His name is Josiah. And Josiah was a king during the time of Zephaniah. And Zephaniah was the prophet that was speaking during this young king's life. Check this out. Josiah actually got it right. And he responded to the perhaps. Here we go. Second Kings verse 22. We're going to go quickly in this. It says verse one, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Now try to tell that kid to go to bed, right? Put a crown on your eight year old and say, get to bed. What? Right? That's me shining my crown, by the way. Couldn't tell. He says, and he reigned 31 years. He, uh, he died young, didn't he? He says, in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adadiah of Bozkath. Now, his dad, Josiah's dad, was a very evil and wicked king who was assassinated. And now there's a single parent who did something right. Because here's a young man who chose to live for Jesus despite what his father was like. Here's a young man who said, yeah, my dad might be chasing idols. He might have sold me out for sex and success. He might be a wicked person, but thank God for moms. Thank God for single moms 
who raised their children in the Lord. Here's one who did something right in a long line of losers because verse 2 says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David, his father. David was his national father. He was the father of their nation, not his literal father because David was like, 400 years before him. He says, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. How is it that in an anything goes, do whatever you want culture, that this teen king got a right? How is it that this teenager did something right? Now, I want you to hear this. Zephaniah was a prophet during the junior high years of Josiah. We don't know if Josiah heard Zephaniah's prophecy, we kind of imply that he did because Zephaniah was royal family. He probably lived in the royal household. So what Zephaniah Zephaniah prophesied, Josiah probably heard as a young boy. And when Josiah was 18, he had this bright idea. You know what? I'm hearing the words of the Lord around me. We have this temple. We need to do some remodeling. We need to clean it up. So he decides he's going to repair the temple. And while they were there, guess what they found? Verse 8, And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Guess what? I found the Bible. 300 years it's been lost. 300 years they haven't read from the Torah. 300 years they haven't read from the prophets that were there. 300 years, they haven't done anything to follow God. And all of a sudden, they're cleaning out a closet. They're busting through a wall and, whoa, what is this? Oh, my gosh, the Bible. What is it? Could you imagine if some Sunday, it'd be like this. Say we have a 30-year, 40-year history of our church. And somebody walks into our church and says, Pastor, I'd like to give you this. I'm like, what is it? Now, if this was a church that didn't even know what a Bible was, I don't think you might be here. There's a lot of churches like that today, by the way. Um, Imagine bringing me that. Well, they were shocked. So then Shaphan takes it to Josiah. Verse 10 says, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the high priest had given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, He tore his clothes. I was like, why would he tear his clothes? Here's what happened. In the Old Testament, when when God was revealed and people were humbled, when they were in complete distress and in fear, they would tear their clothes and throw themselves on the ground. Josiah heard God's voice through the scriptures. Tore his clothes knowing that he was in big trouble. He read it and he thinks, man, we need, to, we need to get things right. So Josiah then tells the priest, he says, go and talk to God about us, about what we should do. Well, this high priest, Hilkiah didn't know what to do because he'd never talked to God. He'd never prayed to God. They'd never even seen a Bible before. They'd never even seen the Torah before. So then he starts seeking out in the land for someone to tell him. He finds a prophetess. And this woman says, God is pleased with Josiah's response. Go tell Josiah. So he goes and tells Josiah, and this is what Josiah does. 
So here's what he does in 2 Kings 23, 2. It says, and the king went up to the house of the Lord. He went to the temple. He stood on the steps. He gathered all the people. And he says, and with him, all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that he had been given and that had been found in the house of the Lord. So I want you to write this in. You're like, all right, what do we do with Zephaniah? We're going to do what Josiah did. And number one, here's, if you want to respond to God's challenging word, God's counting today, you want to know what to do? Here's the first thing that we need to do. It begins, it starts with God's word. It's time to go back to God's word. Here's what they did. They heard God's word and they let it change who they are. It began to rearrange what they thought about things. God's word is where we get the directions for our life. It's not Oprah. It's not our horoscope. It's not our opinions. We don't follow our hearts. It's not the counsel of our friends. Ask, what is God saying about my life right now? What does God's word say about how I'm living? How does God's word say about how I'm treating my husband or my wife? How does God's word, what does God's word say about my lifestyle? Because God's counting and it's time to respond. And we've got to start with God's word and find out what he wants for you and what he wants for me. Some of you are living in rebellion. You're thick-headed and you think just like them, God's going to do nothing. The word of the Lord has come to you today. And like Josiah, start with God's word. And then he says this, look what else he did. Verse three, he says, and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. He says, he began to cry out to God and he says, he made a covenant to walk after the Lord and to seek his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart, all of his soul, and to perform the words of his word, this covenant that were written in this book. So basically Josiah then said this, change begins with me. It starts with the Bible. And then he says, now God, start with me. Some of you are waiting for your wife to change, your husband to change. God says, no, start with you. Well, if my kids just got it together, no, start with you. If things just got better at work, no, start with you. Well, if my boyfriend or girlfriend agree with me, no, it starts with you. Josiah made a commitment once he read God's word, God, I am making a vow to follow you regardless of them. This is how you respond to the counting of God. Josiah said, it starts with me and my part, my influence, my household, my church, my place of worship, my job, my words, my lifestyle, my attitude, my actions. It starts with my life. And then he says this, look what else happened. Verse three, the the second part, he says, and all the people joined in the covenant. And they saw Josiah and said, count me in. And I want you to know this, this change should ripple into every area of your life. It's not a change of this, well, I want it in my heart and in my mind, in my spirit. No, he says it should move out beyond to the place. Every place you step when you get out of bed, that's where this change of God should be rippling. You walk to work. The change of God, the spirit of God, the power of God is working and walking with you to work. In your family, you walk out of your bedroom and you have a household that's crazy. Man, walk out of that bedroom with the power of God and walk into the peace of God and be the change that your family needs because that change that is truly from God, from God's word into our heart will ripple into the life of those around us. 
It will change your marriage. It will affect your parents. It will affect your home, your school, your job. At 18 years old, a teenager, Josiah did amazing thing. He stands up and he declares to everybody, things are going to change around here and it starts now. Some of you guys, it's time to have that attitude in your life. Things have got to change in my family. Well, it starts now. It doesn't start when things get in a row. My finances are going to line up with God. It doesn't start when the debts are paid. It starts now. Well, I'm going to start living for God once I can get these things. No, it starts now. Josiah stood up and declared, change begins with me right now. And you know what he did? Josiah then commanded all of the idols to Baal and Asherah to be brought out of the temple. All the idols set at all the city gates and all the rooftop idols, and he burned them and ground them to ashes. He drove out all the prostitutes from the temple. Think about that. Oh, my goodness. The very temple of God where they made sacrifices. There were prostitutes that hung out there and were encouraged to be there. Man, church was a busy place. He removed Moloch idols and stopped child sacrifices. He burned all the chariots that were dedicated to the sun gods and to the stars. And he reigned in all corrupt priests. He dug up the bones of past evil kings and leaders and he defiled them, desecrated them and ground them into dust and threw them into the river. Josiah then restored the Passover. Think about this. For the first time, In 400 years, they celebrated the Passover. It's amazing. 400 years of needed change, Josiah was responsible for collecting what we know as the Old Testament. It was because of Josiah that the Hebrew scriptures at the time began to be finally collected and restored as they began to dig them out and transcribe them. Josiah did not stop until the job was done Verse 24 of chapter 23, 2 Kings says, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers. Those are the fortune tellers and those that sought after the dead, the occultists and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the high priest found in the house of the Lord. So I want you to write this down. Here's the next thing he says, and you need to realize this, that worship without obedience is worthless. The temple that he was worshiping in, that Zephaniah and Josiah was alive during, had 400 years of packed people. It was a temple that had worship going on every day. And some of it was even to Yahweh. At the same time, it was to Asherah or to Baal or to Moloch. But yet there was no obedience in their heart or actions. And you know, we find ourselves just like that. The prophets remind us that God wants our whole life. He wants our heart, soul, and actions He wants our heart, soul, and might. A lot of us, we check in on Sunday, do our religious thing. We know the answer to the Bible trivia questions, and we go, got it, star, good job, I'm a Christian. And then we leave and do our own thing. And God says, no, because worship without obedience is worthless. They had 400 years of worship with banners and bands and big sound and extremely demonstrative events, but it was worthless because they didn't have obedience. 
We want the feeling and we want the blessings. We want the goosebumps, but we don't want that verse. No, because that verse says I have to be different. What parts of the Bible do you think don't apply to you? It's worthless without obedience. Verse 25, he says, Before him, before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Imagine that on your tombstone. Man, count me in for that. This young man blew away David's walk with God. He says, man, not even David compared. And anyone after him, he even made it into the birth line of Jesus. When it gives who are, the, who are the family members of Jesus, his name is mentioned. Here's the last thing I want to end with, is that I want you to fight, like Josiah, to keep the good things from becoming God things. See, they were worshiping. That's good. Man, but they were worshiping the stars, which are good. They were worshiping success, which is God-given. They were worshiping sex, which is a blessing from God within the confines of a marriage. All good things. In fact, these are things that God created and majors in. God knows exactly how to bring success. God knows exactly how expansive the universe is. The Bible says they are to remind us of how awesome he is when we look up at the stars. Not worship them, but go, God, you're big. And he gave us sexuality as a blessing to knit married people together as icing on the cake of a beautiful relationship. But yet we pervert all of these and we turn things that God gives us. Sometimes we worship the good things that God gives us and we pursue them and we turn them into idols. And God's response is, pursue me. He's counting. One. I'm going to give you another chance. Two. I'm going to come down there if you don't listen. Three. Realize this, five degrees off gets you far from where you want to be. Well, it's just a little bit of Asherah. It's just a little bit of Baal. I believe most of the Bible, it's just one area I think I know a little bit better on. This little thing, I think it's going to be all right. Imagine going to church and seeing tents out in the lobby. And you're like, what's, what's, what's that? Well, you know, we're going to try something new. It's called pro- prostitutes. We'll try something new. We're going to have a little room over here, over here. What are those statues? What's, all that, what's on that table? Just pick one. Take it with you. What's with the big barbecue? Well, um, well, that you know that kid problem? <laughs> Not after today. <laughs> you know, this sort of thing didn't happen overnight. Galatians 5.9 says that a little leaven works through the whole batch. Basically, be careful because the little things can take you far away from where you want to be. Just a little bit. If you're flying from San Diego to New York and you're just five degrees off, you're going to end up in Boston, 219 miles off, because a little bit matters. The farther you go, the farther you get. Hebrews 12 says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perth- with." Perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Messiah, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw you 2,000 years ago when he was on the cross. 
He saw you. The joy set before him was your salvation. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fight for what is right. Fight to make sure that the good things do not become God things. It's a very little walk from things being little G's to becoming big G's. Parents, here's a challenge specifically to you. Focus more on the G-O-D than the MVP or the GPA. You know, being a great athlete, being a great athlete, being a great student, being an honor student can be good things, but fight to keep them from becoming God things in their life and in your family's life. And, And make sure that you fight to make sure that God is a standard in your home. Tear down the Asherah poles. Clean out the bales from your home. Stop sacrificing your children in the, in the name of success and finances and sexuality. Get your house and your home in order. God is counting. I want to encourage you, mom and dad, get your kids in church. Encourage them and then make them come. And You know, I tell my daughters at 18, you can do whatever you want. But until then, you belong to me. I'm going to give you some freedom. I'm going to trust you as I feel like you're trustworthy. Our girls are wonderful. They're very trustworthy. But I make it clear, you're not going to call the shots. God is. And as long as I'm the leader of this house, as I don't know about you, but we will serve the Lord. We have made that commitment and it starts today. Some of you guys, you've let everything else take priority in your family. You've let everything else, man, you're so focused on their college or their education while their walk with God is going down the drain. You're so focused on their athletic ability and their sport activity, and yet they don't even know who God is in their life at that moment. But they're making touchdowns and they're hitting home runs and they're bringing in great grades, but they don't know who God is. I would rather my kids be unathletic and dumb and know Jesus. Because... When they stand before the Lord, it won't be their, their record in some track book that's going to welcome them into heaven. It's not going to be their grades that's going to get God to stand next to him. I want to encourage you. Just a thought. Just my thing. Don't ground your kids from youth group. Say, well, I've, I've heard parents say, well, they're not going to be coming this week because I caught them smoking dope. And I'm thinking, we don't smoke dope in youth group. So why wouldn't you want them to come? We're part of the antidote. Kids Venture is part of the antidote. Sunday is part of the antidote. As we, like Josiah, raise high the banner of God's word and respond to the words of Zephaniah. After Josiah died, Judah went back to their old ways. Their parents did not follow through, but God did, and discipline came. And next week, we're going to talk about the fall of Judah. And it's quite surprising. 20 times, Zephaniah says, the day of the Lord. They had theirs. We will have ours. Dad is counting. One, two, three. Will you respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for your 
faithfulness. God, I pray that you were convicting us and moving in us and challenging us and stretching us. And God, I pray that as we wrap up our service, I pray, Lord, that you would um, move in our midst and change us. Lord, let us leave here declaring, like Josiah, that my house, change begins right now with me. I want to pray for you. God, I pray for these moms and dads, these teenagers, these children, these young adults, God, in this room. God, you've given us a lot to think about today. Lord, I pray that we would go back to your word, that we would receive this. Jesus, thank you that you looked to this moment today and gave us this chance of grace and mercy. As we close the service, will you just take some time to talk to God, maybe get some things squared away between you and the Lord? God, thank you so much that you're doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.